Hello, everyone. Welcome to Random Encounter 260-260. Uh, my name is John O'Logan, and I am currently lulled into a false sense of security because as a review manager of the site, uh, after like the end of the year and, and a lot of January, not a lot comes out. There's like a period of a couple of weeks where, you know, nothing really happens. And, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of, I'm kind of getting bored. And then all of a sudden, like at the middle of February, everything starts dropping like crazy and giant titles start getting released. Like this year, for example, just in mid-February for us in our genres, uh, Theater Rhythm, Final Bar Line, Octopath Traveler 2, and Like a Dragon Machine, is com they're coming out. Uh, but you know what? That doesn't necessarily mean that some outstanding experience haven't dropped throughout uh, December and January. I say outstanding. I guess that depends on where you're coming from. So let's uh, let's talk about some games. Uh, specifically ones that we have reviews for on the site, recent ones. So joining us today are Izzy. Hey. And Brian. Hey there. Uh, just I felt like asking you both. Uh, so yeah, there are some big games coming out in the next few months. What what games are you really excited for uh, that are coming out? So my number one is Resident Evil 4 Remake. Resident mm -hmm. Evil is possibly my favorite non-RPG series, so that's a big one for me. I mean, Resident Evil 4 is a great game, but based on how much I love Resident Evil 2 Remake... I'm, I have very high expectations, and I'm very much looking forward to it. I am a little bit more bullish on it, because what they could do with Resident Evil 2 and 3, uh, because, you know, those games were released, and they were they were tank controls and, and pre-rendered backgrounds and all of that, they, they really could go crazy with expanding the world and doing other things. Whereas, I would argue that, to the best of my knowledge, I haven't played it at least in three or four years but resident evil 4 is still a damn good game that still holds up and doesn't feel like it needs necessarily a full ground up remake so i'm going to be curious to see how they expand the game and uh, make it well better people i've talked to have played it in recent times that have didn't play it back then do you sometimes have issues with how it controls and stuff because you have to stop to shoot and things like that mm. so i think that's one thing that's obviously going to be improved and I have hope for this remake series kind of being a reset of the tone of Resident Evil and 4 will be still campy with Leon being Leon. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of camp to be had there, but I'm hoping it will kind of readjust the tone just a little bit so we don't end up going in the direction of full-on action with the remake series going forward. That's understandable. I was a little bit surprised that they actually didn't uh, go for either a full... Uh, new style remake of the original Resident Evil. I know there's another. Re I know there's a remake of Resident Evil, but like in this style or Code Veronica or even Zero. Yeah, I mean, I guess they just want those numbered entries, and they don't want to move back. They want to move forward. <laughs> well, I guess there's hope that they might be able to fix five. That's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're fixing five. Um, <laughs> what about you, Brian? Uh, yeah. So I mean, I'm pretty sure there's something major coming out for me to play basically every month for the next six <laughs> months. But some ones coming up very soon that I'm interested in are uh, we have the Dead Space remake in two days. Ooh, that's going to be exciting, especially after the disappointment of the Cluster Protocol. Yeah, didn't love that one. And in a very shocking to me announcement, we're getting an Igtra Union PC release. Sorry, what? Oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> Igtra Union was this niche, weird card game strategy rpg on the game boy advance and psp and they're re-releasing it on steam in like a week that's interesting i didn't know that it's one of it's a sting game so the niche weird studio basically <laughs> okay well uh i mean it's not something that i i was looking forward to because i didn't know it existed but hey i am thrilled to death that you are looking forward to it 
Um, and none of those games sound, well, I guess Resident Evil 4 might be, but none of those games sound particularly controversial uh, because, you know, they're, they're games everyone's really looking forward to. Uh, so I felt like maybe talking about a game today that I think was surprisingly controversial for what it turned out to be, for what people thought it was going to be for a lot of really sad internet reasons, and that is Forspoken. Um, so Izzy, you uh, reviewed Forspoken for the site. Uh, the review came out just a few days ago. It got an 80. So you actually liked it. Um, and uh, just for a little background for those listening, um, I suspect that you know what Fors- Forspoken is, but I will tell you. So this was developed by many of the same people who worked on Final Fantasy XV. Uh, as I understand it, it shares much of the same DNA as that somewhat decisive entry of the Final Fantasy series. Um, it had a very interesting development cycle from rumors that have come out. It was delayed several times from its initial release date, and the pre-reception to the game was to be charitable, not kind. Uh, from its very initial trailers, people seemed to take issues with the protagonist, the overall world, the combat, the design, and people. a lot of people's opinion of it was really, really, really negative. Like, it's been a while since I've thought... Uh, remember could think of a game that was had quite this much negative buzz going into it and then the game came out to a general reception of yeah it's all right like this is not the bomb that i think a lot of people thought it was going to be but as is the case with many games today it's all right was not enough to diffuse the incredible leg uh the incredible levels of negativity that permeated the established discourse about it so uh izzy let's just cut to the chase you you liked this game right yeah i'm quite a fan of it i think i could see it being a cult classic going forward i think if it ever gets added to game pass through like pc game pass or playstation plus i think it could really drive a lot of discourse where people realize hey this game's actually not that bad especially you know when you have this expectation that it's awful and then you play it and you're like hey this is pretty fun that can make you actually like something more Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that's what i expect going forward really well let's let's get into it a little bit what what's the plot of the game uh, so, you know, it's very isekai, um, Narnia, that kind of thing. It's a portal mm. fantasy where a person, Frey, Frey Holland from our Earth, uh, New York specifically, City. yes, New York City, um, gets pulled into a, another world, a fantasy world, medieval fantasy world, really, uh, called Athia. Um, she really just wants to get back home because there's motherfucking dragons in Mm. athia and she's not so happy about having to dodge dragons or deal with all this shit when she just wants to get back to her cat i mean that's relatable exactly what kind of a character is frey because i've been i've been doing a lot of reading about this and because i'm frankly speaking i am fascinated by this game and just the reception i think it's a perfect uh example of uh how the internet makes its mind up about something and nothing can change it and criticism, either positive or negative, uh, either reinforces uh, the opinions on either side of it. So from what I've heard, Frey is a rather abrasive character. Oh, yeah. She's definitely specifically and purposely supposed to be abrasive. She's a person who um, doesn't really have a lot of reason to trust other people. And she doesn't want to go out of her way to help people because she thinks they'll stab her in the back or things like that. So the fact that she ends up in another world where she has magic powers and is the only one that could save that world is kind of a rub for her where she just wants to get home, not have to save a world that she doesn't even know. Yeah. I imagine that this is so far out of her, I was going to say comfort zone, but yeah, she's in a a world of dragons. Um, So obviously it's out of her comfort zone. Um, The thing that I was reading about 
Frey is that there is a uh, her relationship with many of the other characters in the game who apparently from what I've read are very very well acted like everyone acts the, the acting in this game is actually great from what I've heard yeah so I'm it's kind of a, a mixed bag where the acting is pretty good but sometimes the like actual like sound mixing around it or like the um cutscene direction can be awkward so like someone will deliver a line and it feels good but then like there's just this weird pause between lines mm. that sometimes makes it a little awkward but i found the characters quite enjoyable and yeah it's just like they feel like they're the people living in a fantasy world Frey feels like she's someone that came from earth and is only 20 years old and has no idea what the hell's going on and that interaction isn't so bad sometimes it's a little cringy <laughs> okay um the central relationship of the game sounds like it is between Frey and her arm-based companion, Cuff. Um, and it seems like a lot of the criticism is based around those two and their relationship with each other, especially in the earlier uh, point of the game where it doesn't sound like they like each other very much, which is like a classic fantasy trope, which is, you know, the the hero and the, the sword or the weapon, the sentient weapon, they don't like each other. Um, what were your reactions to them and their, uh, their relationship? I, I agree that very early on, it's kind of a little grating and not necessarily because of the delivery or the personalities or anything, but just because the writing feels like it tries a little too hard at first to um, establish those points of like, they don't like each other. Frey is rough around the edges. Um, this is a fantasy world. It's just like, it almost sometimes, and I don't think it's, to a large degree, but sometimes it feels like the early game was written by different people than the later game. <laughs> Which is completely possible given the uh, the interesting development schedule for this thing. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like them both. I think it's fun. I think Cuff's deliveries are really weird in a way that I think is kind of fun. Like, he's just this weird sentient thing. And like, sometimes he sounds like a robot. Sometimes he sounds like his accent's stronger or not as strong. And it's, and it, it should be off-putting, but like, it's not because he's a talking magical object that seems to have a big history behind him that you don't know anything about. Yeah, he's a, it sounds, well, British. Um, <laughs> actually, you know what? When I heard the voice at first, I kind of thought it sounded a little bit like Stephen Merchant. Uh, <laughs> because, and the relationship, it, it like it seemed a little bit like Wheatley from Portal. Um, mm -hmm. If if Chell would repeatedly tell Wheatley to go fuck himself instead of just jumping <laughs> um except like i mean give it there's a there's a fair bit in common there neither one wants to be in this particular world and they are accompanied by a sentient uh object um but yeah uh when i was listening to it it didn't like the performances all sound really really good it sounds mm -hmm. like the problem is not with any of the performances it sounds like they had a very specific tone and uh characterizations that they were going for and they really did find actors who could pull those characterizations off for better or for worse. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen it described by a lot of people online now as kind of re um, being similar to a young adult novel almost, like a young adult fantasy novel. Oh, that makes a lot of sense, actually. And I can I can feel that. I mean, other than the fact that there's a massive amount of swearing, but other than that, mm. like, I mean, young adult novels have swearing too, but it's otherwise feels kind of like that. And I think it's kind of exists in this space where it if you take it the right amount of seriously it's n there's not that much to feel frustrated or complain about and it's just kind of feels like a lot of people have decided to specifically pick at the dialogue more than anything else when 
there's not there's lots of other games that have comparably awkward dialogue or comparably i don't know juvenile i don't really think it's juvenile but i know what you mean though yeah, yeah. um well i mean this is these are all aspects of the the presentation of the game the story that stuff like that mm-hmm. uh let's talk about well the game itself so what's the open world like i mean obviously it's full of monsters uh you mentioned in the review that you really like some of their designs like there's some very imaginative monster designs in this game yep one of the first enemies you fight is like i guess a bear or wolf-like bear-like thing I guess it's more like a wolf, but it's, you know, something's just eating something and facing away from Frey. And she's like, oh, it's a dog. I'm going to try and talk to it. And then, you know, it turns around and it's literally um, from the uh, tip of its snout all the way down to its belly is just a mouth. Oh, how Resident Evil of it. Giant mouth lined with giant teeth. Yeah, exactly. So I enjoy that kind of monster design. Get a little bit of horror in there. Um, Yeah. So those are cool. Uh, How's so, the open world? How does the open world work in the game? Uh, so it's very it's huge. It is quite large. Um, I will say the one thing that I think was a good decision on their part is they segment that open world a bit. So you, mm-hmm. there are parts of it you can't get to until you get far enough in the story. So you're not like you're not as overwhelmed with just here's a giant world you can go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and but like the actual open world itself, it's very. 3d because Frey has magic parkour and can run up walls and grab use a grappling hook to uh, made out of fire to launch herself higher up and all these like cool traversal abilities so it's very 3d you can climb things you can go down canyons you can jump and run and to your heart's content and it's quite enjoyable in that respect well let's talk about that because that's actually the element of the game which uh, i would say based on your review the element of the game that attracted you to it in the first place was the element that you turned out to enjoy the most which was the sense of movement in the game which is uh parkour inspired very very fast which is good because it's a big world mm-hmm. um so how how would you move around this world right so quickly i imagine very quickly so you basically just hold down the o button and you start sprinting incredibly fast and just like Frey will automatically leap over small things run up walls things like that uh you can also leap incredibly far distances things like that so you're always moving very quickly um and things can just kind of fly by you you can and then you kind of decide whether you want to stop and check them out right so you can Mm. get from point a to b point b super quick um you can fall from very high heights before you'll take any damage uh so it's just there's a constant sense of momentum going forward and uh which I will say can make a bit of whiplash when you do stop to do something because you're just you're in such a zone of just like finding a a path through the world and running through it. And then you're like, oh, I actually want to check that out. And you just kind of, you know, freeze. (laughs) I mean, that's the case with anything. Like if I'm listening to a podcast on at like 1.5 speed and I turn it back to one, they just sound drunk. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, it's and I mean, you can use those parkour uh, abilities in battle, too. So you can always be fast, pretty much, except if you're just like trying to pick up some like stuff off the ground or something and you don't want to like you're it's difficult to pick things up when you're running very very quickly but Mm -hmm. uh, yeah so i don't know it's just there's something that's incredibly fun to me about having a really large world that has lots of different terrain features and then just getting to go through it very quickly with all kinds of different momentum and traversal style abilities that I've always loved and that a lot of open world games don't do that kind of thing, which is Mm. why I'm often not a big open world fan. 
and why Xenoblade X is one of my favorite open world games because mm-hmm. you're so fast and jump so high in that game and get a mech and all that stuff. So <laughs> this gives me kind of similar vibes of the actual traversal of just getting to enjoy moving about the world rather than feeling like I'm moving about a world to get to something. I'm moving about the world to move about the world, really, most of the it's time. It's fun. It's part of the fun. Yeah, exactly. Well, I read that the world, and from what I've seen in screenshots and video, uh, the world is both incredibly expansive and beautiful. Um, it, it, the, the game looks terrific. I mean, some people have commented on the animations of the characters. I think they look fine. But the environments themselves are gorgeous. Um, but unfortunately, it seems like the world can feel somewhat empty, which is a common problem with a lot of open world games, where there's like there's lots of points of interest that aren't really all that interesting once you get there. How did you find that in this game? Yeah, I mean, I... I think I mentioned in the review that the open world is kind of Ubisoft style and I stick by that. It's very, I mean, they're technically as towers, but they're not really the same as in a Assassin's Creed game. There's just like, you go to a place, you scan the environment, it unlocks or it shows you everything around it, but you never need to do that. Often I didn't even do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it's, you know, there's a point of interest. There's probably some enemies to fight there. There might be a little, um, a little dungeon or that kind of thing, but it is not particularly exciting, especially since a lot of the rewards from things are just more uh, crafting materials. But, I mean, you, you can also get more cloaks, you can get more necklaces, you can get more nail polish to enhance your magics, you can uh, get stat upgrades. So there, at least you keep getting stronger if you do all that stuff. Though I will say the game isn't particularly difficult. So if you get strong enough, you start to really dominate the enemies, which depends on the person, might not be a problem at all. Some people like to have a challenge, but sometimes it's fun to be a wizard that just is able to absolutely destroy enemies. So, you know. Destroying enemies, obviously, is a big part of the game because of combat. Um, In your review, you mentioned that uh, phrase combat style uh, is based around elements. So, you know... Earth, for example, is is her starting element. Mm -hmm. Uh, How does combat work in the game? Right. So basically, each of the uh, four different elements has both attack spells and support spells. And then there's like extra bonus traversal stuff that like just enhances your traversal in some way. But those are the two main types of spells. Uh, Attack spells, you, for a given element, the base, like just pressing R2 does a very basic attack with that thing. Um, So with the fire magic, it lets you do combos with the flaming sword. Uh, But you have different attack spells that change what happens when you hold down the button and do a charge attack. Uh, And you could swap between these really easily. So you could, in the same battle, very easily do the different attack spells. You could switch between the different elements. So say you're come in attacking from afar and you attack with the water magic to like shoot arrows at them, a big mob of enemies, you rain arrows down them from afar and then they're getting closer to you. You switch to fire. You have the melee attack. Uh, you charge up the big swing with your sword on the, is one of the attack spells and launch the whole mob away. And then there's like one big enemy left. So then you switch to a different attack spell with fire that like charges the enemy and punches them with flaming fists and a big destructive combo that then launches them away, that kind of stuff. Uh, (laughs) and then you also have the support spells which i find are the most interesting part of the combat because each support spell has a unique effect they go on cooldown when you use them but you can spam all your support spells that are off cooldown 
And you, since you can swap elements very easily, you can potentially spam like 20 spells in a few seconds that all do different interesting support effects, which can be big AoE damage. They can hold enemies in place. They can give you buffs or debuff the enemies around you. All kinds of cool stuff like that. Uh, yeah, so it's kind of a... And then you use the parkour button to dodge around enemies. You can jump over their heads. You get, you can do like leapfrog attacks and stuff like that. So it's kind of a run around the battlefield, making sure you don't get hit while just throwing absolute destruction upon your enemies with all these support spells and filling any gaps with your attack magic. <laughs> hmm. And it's an RPG. So once you, you win a fight, you get, you get uh, experience points, which you use to level up, get new skills. Right. So when you get experience points, which level you up, and when you level up, you get mana, and you also can find mana in the world or doing side activities or whatever. And mana is what you spend to upgrade your skills, uh, which you unlock nodes with it um, and get new spells. And each there's only one mana pool, so you have to split that between your different elements. Um, and then you can also do these things called spellcraft challenges, where you basically just undertake a challenge it's like a tiny little mini achievement on a specific spell using that spell to do something. And then you get a permanent buff. If you've accomplished that achievement that like permanently increases your magic and boosts that spell a little bit mm. and your stats, you have a attack stat for each of your different elements. So you'll have a purple magic, a red magic, a blue magic and a green magic. And they each are like what gives the potency of, to that specific magic type, um, which is affected by, so you get unlocking those spellcraft challenges, you'll get more, but you also can increase it by equipping cloaks and necklaces and upgrading those cloaks and necklaces and different cloaks and necklaces uh, are more inclined to different types of magic. So you can kind of focus on one or you can try and spread it out and be good at them all. I, so when I finished the game, I had, I think, around 90 in each of the magics because I was trying to balance them out. But a, a friend of mine... <laughs> who writes for another site, he, before he even got past the first boss, he had like 130 purple magic or something, like more than I had at the last boss, just because he did everything. In, <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's a little bit of a different experience with this game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with the three, with the three, the four different uh, elements, I imagine that there is enough freedom there that you really can tailor uh, phrase abilities to your own particular style right and i i mean i think each element is different enough too that you it just feels different playing as them so i think i mentioned this in the review that i sometimes found it a struggle the camera specifically in combat i was about to ask you about that yeah <laughs> so depending on the type of magic that is more or less applicable for so like if it's if you're charging up like AOE abilities, it's like whatever. I don't care where the camera goes. But <laughs> if you're trying to do precise things, it can be more frustrating. Um, and I also found it's just more difficult to not get hit if you're doing melee combos with the flaming sword. So I didn't use this fire stuff as much as I used the other ones. But enemies are also vulnerable to specific types of magic. So the game does encourage you to use different magics against different enemies to that degree. And, but it's, if you like really out level a type of magic, then it doesn't really matter and you'll just crush them anyway. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, it kind of blows my mind that 
I know this is super reductive, but it blows my mind that we're almost 30 years past Super Mario 64 and the camera is still a pain in the ass for 3D games. Right? I Yeah, I don't... It's it's just kind of, I don't know, loose, a little weird. You The lock-on me- mechanism kind of like slides around enemies and if things are flying, it's just... Yeah, because that's, that, that's what you want with a lock-on mechanism. Sliding. <laughs> lock-on to the enemy. Whee! <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, uh, aside from the combat, there's also equipment and stuff like that. And there's crafting in this game. Uh, yes. There's lots of crafting in this game, apparently. Uh, maybe even too much? Yeah. I mean, I'm not big on crafting systems in general most of the time because I find them kind of so simplified that I'd rather just get the item. Like, you just mm. give me a bunch of stuff to make a thing when you could have just gave me that thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um. I will say in this game that crafting more functions as like stat buffs, it's almost like it's its own pool of resources that you're using to increase your stats. Um, so it's almost like just in a different experience pool or something. You're like, oh yeah, all these leaves or something can give my, I guess usually it's like ore or something, but it makes my necklace give me more magic. So I'm just basically using these to increase my magic. Mm. Um, so it's I, it didn't really bother me, but it didn't really engage me either. So it's just kind of there. <laughs> it's just another system layered onto a yeah. game that probably doesn't really need it. I agree. I, I I would rather just get more equipment that's more unique rather than upgrading that equipment. And, mm. But it is what it is. Well, I mentioned that the acting apparently is very, very good. Uh, but another aspect of the audio is the music. And you just... I guess you just felt that the music was just kind of there. It did the job, but it was not super memorable. Yeah, it's kind of, it was odd when I was writing the review. I was like, oh, I haven't said anything about the music yet. And then I stopped and I was like, what do I have to say about the music? And then I went back in the game and I was like, okay. (laughs) So (laughs) it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a very fantasy world feeling soundtrack. It just doesn't feel, I guess, partly because it's like a Square Enix game. I think my expectation was more melodic and more um songs versus like kind of ambient fantasy music mm-hmm. um, so i don't know it's i wouldn't I'm, I'm not complaining about the music but i also just it's i can't even think of what it sounds like right now sitting here when yeah so that's a pretty good indictment of it um <laughs> although at the very least sometimes music can be irritating none of the music you were never irritated by the music in the game no that's fair that's true yeah Okay, well, I wanted to actually, Brian, I, I would love to have your thoughts here too after I ask Izzy. Um, like I mentioned earlier in the uh, episode, uh, the level of controversy and vitriol about this game online over the last uh, few months has been uh, measurable, has been noticeable. Um, what are your thoughts about it? And obviously you gave the game an 80, you enjoyed it, you obviously do not think this is the the worst game of 2023 um i'm just curious and this is that this can we can branch this off into a wider question about the level of vitriol and gaming uh discourse period uh but what are your thoughts about it specific to forespoken i feel like it is it was kind of just this self-fulfilling prophecy of i won't say that square enix marketed this game great because i do feel like there was some issues in how they presented the game the first time the delays and things like that but there also just seemed to be a overwhelming decision to decide that this game would be awful no matter what came like you said earlier Mm. um and i feel like that is not a great thing for anyone that's playing games to make this 
decision about games beforehand, <laughs> before we know enough, before we've played them, before they're in our hands, before, I mean, our, us reviewers try and do our best, but we're just people too. So obviously we're affected by the online discourse. We're affected by mm-hmm. how people talk about things and what they're saying and all the comments on the videos and all that stuff. We're affected by that too. So we're trying our best to just do what review the game as how we like it and how much we enjoy it and try and talk about what we see as positives or negatives and all this stuff. Right. But there's, it's hard not to have that voice in the back of your head that if you're like reviewing a game that's hated online that, and you're reviewing it positively, it's hard not to have that voice in the back of your head. That's like, am I being too kind to this? Am I, is are people online going to not take me seriously because of this? Um, Because, and that kind of stuff. And I mean, that's not a good place to be in either is to worry about if anyone will even uh, believe your opinion because you're not negative enough about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, and it's always, a, it's it's a thought that we, whenever we review a game, we actively have to fight against that instinct of, uh, I guess, what the predetermined opinion about this game is because we have to come into it with an open mind, a fresh a fresh mind and experience it just as it comes at us. Uh, whether that be a good experience or a bad experience is uh, it, it, that doesn't matter to the, that doesn't matter. Um, in the end, I think that a review is an excellent springboard for conversation. And some people have problems with the whole, uh, the whole scoring uh, at the bottom of review. Personally, I think that scoring is a, I don't, I don't want to call it a necessary evil, but it's there because some people do just pay attention to the score. So you do have that engagement uh, metric where if you don't include a score, some people just aren't going to want to read a 2,000 to 3,000 word review to find out what you think of the game. They just want to know, okay, what did you think of it? Um, that can be a little disheartening, especially when you spend all this time writing and putting your thoughts down and it just boils down to a a number and maybe some pros and cons. Right. Um, but I do firmly believe that I, it's, this is difficult. This is difficult for me to say because I think that a good review is a springboard to conversation. Um, and when some people enter the conversation with a very, very bound and determined opinion, whether or not that opinion is based on their own actual experience or just what they've heard or just what they've seen of the game, the conversation can get a little bit rough. And can get a little bit, uh, there's a disingenuousness behind it where people are just trying to push their points of view um, and ignoring everybody else's opinions or experience playing the game. Uh, And that can be poisonous. And that's, I mean, the internet, period, in my opinion. (laughs) Brian, what do you think? I I think a lot of the discourse has been, to be honest, kind of dumb. And I say this even from the perspective of someone that, that I don't even like the game. Like I tried the demo and I it wasn't for me, uh, which made sense. I didn't think I was going to like it because I don't usually enjoy big open worlds that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but so a lot of the discourse I'm seeing online is people posting like, this is dialogue in a AAA game uh, for real. And then they post a clip and the clip is like, fine. Yeah. And out of context too. So Well, it's just like it's, they post a clip of the character like, saying a quip when someone says something to them. And I'm like, yeah, it's like a isekai game. Mm. I, I feel like this is exactly the type of dialogue I would expect, which I mean, fair enough if you don't like it, but uh, I don't know. It's just weird to me that we have games like um, 
and I know some people don't like these games either, but like, like Borderlands is a very popular series. Mm-hmm. And and with tons of like, for lack of a better term, like cringeworthy dialogue. So I just find <laughs> wow. it weird that this game is being singled out for its dialogue when I'm like, I don't know, it seems fine to me. Yeah. I mean, I haven't played it, but I've read a lot about it. I've read your review as he talked to you here. I've watched a few reviews online because I was very, very curious about this game. And from everything I've heard, even people who don't love it, it's just, it's fine. It's a perfectly playable game that is not going to be the game of the year, but is also Mm -hmm. not a complete and utter disaster. Why can't we just have a game that's middle of the road and is pretty good and you can enjoy playing and put down and never play again? Why does it have to be the worst game of the year or... God, this is terrible, or this animation is horrible, and you're and people are cherry picking the worst moments out of it, out of context. Why? What does it serve? What is the point of that? Oh boy, that little rant is gonna. I'm gonna pay for that somewhere, probably. <laughs> I, I I agree with you though. It's there's endless negativity around video games that has gotten kind of exhausting, and this feels like a very strong example of that (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i'm good to be completely honest with both of you and everyone listening to this so i'm being completely honest with a lot of people it's been a it i don't want to call it a stressful week because it hasn't been stressful it's just been mildly frustrating um like our reviews for persona 3 and 4 came out this week and it's their persona 3 and 4 obviously there are going to be some comments that are less than positive uh, especially when the people who are reviewing them would point out things that have to be charitable have not aged well. And I just, and like lots of calls of you're trying to censor them and this is censorship. And it's like, no, it's not censorship. We're pointing to it. That's all we're doing. We're reviewers. It would be, it would be journalistic malpractice for us not to point to the things that have not aged well. Yeah. I appreciate that people think we have the power to censor a game that came out how long ago? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, here's the thing. If as a reviewer, if, if a re-release happens, a remaster comes out, as reviewers, and I would, I don't think anyone would disagree with this, we are completely justified in pointing out problems with the graphics, with the gameplay, with the overall presentation, if those three things are dated. We can point to them and say, these things are dated. But if we point to the content of the game and say, this has not aged well, this is dated, that's censorship. And that's f***ing ridiculous. No, I, I don't understand why some people read reviews. Because, like, <laughs> the point of a review is the reviewer is giving their take, right? So yeah. if you don't want to hear the take, like, if you have, you you know, you have this opinion on a game and you you are not open to hearing other opinions on it, then then why read a review? You don't need it. Right. Especially for games that are that old. Like these people have, I'm sure all played it that are complaining. (laughs) Like A little bit, but like, I mean, Persona 3, you can get into, uh, okay. Have you either of you played Persona 3? Yes. Uh, I have seen some of it, but I haven't played it. Okay. Just, just checking this because I haven't played it, but I've read quite a bit about it this week because I wanted to do my research. Uh, Persona 3 has what you could charitably call a really, really uncomfortable relationship, potential relationship in it. Yes, I'm I'm familiar with that one. Yeah. Why is it wrong to point to that and say, like, maybe we should take a look at this 
So why can't we at the very least say this affects my enjoyment of the game? There's no reason for it. And even ignoring that, they still both got amazing reviews because they're both apparently <laughs> amazing games. You know, uh, I'm sorry. I'm God, I'm going to need a whole f***ing herd of chocobos for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree, though. It, it can be frustrating sometimes. It is, I think, uh, a relatively, uh, I, I'm going to say vocal minority. I, mm. I don't think it's most people, uh, but, uh, you know, a few people can be very frustrating sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And here's the thing, as a re- as the review manager of the site and as someone who has read gaming reviews since I had a subscription to Game Players Magazine growing up, like, I am not saying that reviewers are infallible. Like, game reviewers can be wrong uh, in retrospect, in the moment, but it's still their opinion. And that's what you have to remember when you read review. This is one person's opinion. It is not being influenced by, like, for the site... At least I hope not. I don't think either of you have ever felt particularly pressured by me uh, to push a certain point of view or change your opinion based on uh, what I think the editorial direction of the site should be. Definitely not. No, I mean, I don't think we have ever discussed a score or a criticism that I gave a game. So I I don't think there's any pressure at all. I just kind of write... (laughs) <laughs> what I feel. I mean, I know that neither of you see the payout that we get from like the big AAA developers <laughs> that go straight into our bank accounts. But like, you know, aside from that. That's true. We're just the, we're the peons. We don't see the, uh, the corruption money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry. You keep, you keep churning out reviews like this and someday you'll get those big bucks. <laughs> those big Square Enix dollars they pay out for a review score of 80 on a game. Yeah. And when you say Square Enix dollars, you mean like Square Enix Monopoly money. It's like literally says Square Enix on it. It's not real money at all. I think it's Gil. <laughs> Maybe if we could if we could get Isekai'd into a Final Fantasy game, we could spend it. But is it possible that all video game characters are just interns because they get paid in experience? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, that was stupid. And that was I'm I'm glad that we had this conversation just because this week has been a lot of games have come out this week that have that have gotten a lot of controversy, and I think undeservedly. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, it's just been building up. And I have a podcast, and I, I'm usually not political or vent on this podcast because I don't I don't like doing it. But you know, this week has just been stupid in so many ways. This week, the week before 2023, let's, let's just go for the 2020s. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the 2000, maybe 21st century has just been stupid thus far. The past history of the human race. Yeah, it, let's try something different, maybe. I'm just, <laughs> you know, different. Um, okay, well, let's let's shift gears. Let's talk about a game that that carries with it much less controversy. Um, at least I hope to God it carries much less controversy. If I swear to God, I don't think River City Girls 2, I don't think anyone's angry about this. Um, so, uh, River City Girls 2. Brian, uh, you recently reviewed this. This is fun because... I was not sure about reviewing this game um, because it is a it's a beat 'em up. It's a classic beat 'em up. It's a, it's the latest entry in a lo- in the long running River City series, which includes classic titles like River City Ransom for the NES, Dragon Double Dragon Two for the Game Boy, which is weird, but I guess that it got all new graphics and a new story to fit into the Double Dragon series. They they went during the localization. Somewhat more recently, uh, for people who have been you know listening, uh, River City Girls, the the game. The, the game that came before River, River City Girls 2. Uh, this series is known as, uh, I think, Kunio-kun in Japan. Uh, yep. and it often features a lot of 
uh, gameplay uh, that is not found in others of the genre. So oftentimes open world and RPG mechanics. And they leaned into this with River City Girls, and they leaned into this even harder with River City Girls 2. And you pitched me on this, and you convinced me that we should review this game. Yeah, I remember that conversation. It was it was in a Nintendo Direct, uh, and I think someone made a joke about uh, us covering it, and I was like, okay, but can we, though? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I love River City Girls 2. I loved the first game, too. Uh, I think the premise is a lot of fun. You're playing as... Uh, these two high school girls who in the first game uh, are going to, to try to save their, their boyfriends who have been kidnapped. A nice change over from the usual double dragon style. We got to yeah, save our fun. girlfriends. Yeah. Uh, and then in the sequel, um, you can play as the girls or their boyfriends. You start with all four. Mm-hmm. Um, and the plot of the, the premise of this one is the Yakuza boss that you beat in the last game. Uh, mm-hmm has been replaced by her brother and father. Uh, and she wants you to kind of mess with their plans for revenge. Uh, so you're out beating up Yakuza. I mean, God knows I enjoy doing that in video games. <laughs> and the the story is very simple. It's mostly just there to make you laugh and move you along uh, from screen to screen. But for me, that's good enough because it did make me laugh. So I was happy with that. <laughs> Well, I I played I played through half of the first one uh, with Amanda uh, before Amanda hurt her hand, so she had to stop playing. So I have some experience with this uh, with the this series. Uh, I love beat 'em ups, as is evident from my love of Yakuza Like a Dragon. Um, and you know, there are so many great beat 'em up beat 'em ups that have come out in the last few years. Uh, so, do you think that you would need to have played the first one to get full enjoyment of this game, or can you just jump right in? I think you get more out of this game if you played the first one, uh, but I don't think you had to. Uh, it, it just it makes references back to the first one. Characters reappear. Um, I think it's perfectly playable if you didn't play the first one, mm-hmm. but there's like not not really a reason to start with this one. I guess the only reason to start with this one would be if you want to play the co-op online, because that's ah. only in the second one. Okay. Um so you mentioned there are four, well, there are four main characters in this. So you have the two girls, their boyfriends. Uh, are there any other playable characters? Yes. Uh, you unlock two more uh, as you go on. One of which is a totally redesigned uh, Marion from Double Dragon. Oh, okay. Uh, who is the character I played as. She was a lot of fun. Uh, hmm. They made her like super buff in this game. And she has a lot of wrestling moves, which I enjoyed. Uh, and Pruvy, who I believe is an original character to this game. Uh, and she's a lot of fun, too. Uh, and those are the two that you unlock as you play the story. You don't start with those two. Okay. Well, uh, this is going to be the section where you justify your choices to me. So, Brian, tell us what RPG mechanics can be found in River City Girls 2. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why this is an RPG. Um so the main mechanics, uh, RPG mechanics, are there's stats and level ups that you get as you beat enemies up. Um, and the other way that you can kind of increase your stats is there are shops around the city that all sell different foods. Mm-hmm. Uh, and every time you eat a unique food, it increases your stats a little bit. Uh, and in a sense, this kind of lets you set your own difficulty because like, if you want the game to be harder, you just don't buy unique food. You just eat all the same stuff to recover your health. Hmm. 
other RPG mechanics, uh, there's a lot of quests. You have your primary quest that, you know, you have a log and a map and it tells you where to go to do it. And then there's also all sorts of side quests you can do where you can kind of meet the characters from the first game that aren't super relevant to the plot of this one. Um, but they'll have some side quest and reward for you to do or, or some side quest for you to do and then they'll reward you. Uh, and the side quests are pretty fun in this one. In the first game, a lot of the side quests were just kind of uh, go here, get this, bring it back. Uh, in this one, there's a lot of mini games uh, for each side quest. Oh my god, you're selling me on this game. It sounds like a side-scrolling Yakuza. It's it's the yeah, they're fun little mini games. They're they're short. They're not as involved as the Yakuza ones. Like there's no no business simulator in this one. Oh. <laughs> but you do have little mini games like you know, you play dodgeball, you there's a dance dance revolution type mini game and there's like a weightlifting button mashing mini game. And they're like short little ways to break up uh gameplay that I think could otherwise become repetitive. Mm-hmm. But they place these just just so, so that whenever I was like getting a little tired of uh, just punching my way to the next screen, it was like, okay, now you have to dance for a minute. Uh, and for me, that's fun. Uh, especially, it adds to the humor of the game, and it's just a really, a really charming experience where they have all this goofy stuff for you to do. There's also, I, I think, more of a plot to this than most beat 'em ups. Uh, every boss uh, has their own cutscene and backstory that they give you uh, and it's even enhanced by the music too. I think um, Megan McDuffie uh, returns as the performer and singer for almost every track in this game. I say almost because there's one that is definitely sung by someone else, but mm. she might've been the, um, she probably had a hand in picking too. the performer. Yeah. She was also, su- she supplied the music for river city girls zero and the original river city girls. Yes. And the soundtrack's great. And it was in the original too. But one of the things that I like about it is that the soundtrack actually can add to the story a bit. Whenever you go to a new area for the first time, uh, it will play uh, a song specific to the boss of that area that is sort of about that boss. So when you go to the spooky forest that you get lost in, it has like this creepy sounding theme about the boss wanting to hex you and telling you to get off of her lawn. Um, so you kind of get a feel for what the bosses are like before you even meet them. That's a nice little bit of characterization. Yeah. And then the bosses are a lot of fun too. They're really over the top. My favorite is one of them is a TV chef. (laughs) Uh, and the bosses all are in this format where they have three health bars. And each time you reduce one of the health bars on the TV chef, it like cutaways to a TV interview with your character. Um, it's very funny. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, the game, it does sound like it has a very uh, tongue-in-cheek sense of humor. Um, and obviously, a uh, a lot of uh, retro sensibilities, like the developer way forward, uh, are masters of making retro-style uh, games, but with a modern edge. And it really looks like they pulled out their A-game for this. Um, the graphics, to my eye, it looks like somewhat chunky pixel art mixed with very, very smooth animations. Uh, how does it look in practice? Like, how does the game move? Yeah, I, I think that's a good description. Uh, and for me, I love pixel art, so that appeals to me a lot. But one mm. of the things I like about this game is the combat, the moment-to-moment gameplay is in this nice pixel art. But when you enter a shop or a cutscene uh, or, or a section with dialogue, it's done with uh, these beautiful 
like hand-drawn images. So you get the pixel art when you're playing to get those retro vibes, but then you get a really good idea of kind of what these characters look like um, from these other scenes. And the the nice thing about uh, those other scenes is they kind of show um, a lot of reverence for other games in the genre and other way forward games. Like whenever you step into a shop, uh, it will often be manned by a character from some other game. Like the dojos where you learn more moves are run by the Double Dragon Brothers. <laughs> um, and like you'll you'll walk into a store and I'll be like, is that Patricia Wagon from Mighty Switch Force? Uh, there's just all sorts of random niche references that it feels like a game that loves video games to me. Mm. Uh, and that's a lot of fun. Well, that is fun. Um, speaking of fun, how's the fighting feel? Is it just button mashing or is there, uh, there more here? So button mashing will get you through this game fine. Okay. Uh, however, I think for people that are interested in going a little deeper, there is some depth here. Uh, combo, you can make these really long combos uh, that require somewhat precise timing, especially mm -hmm. with, uh, this is kind of a unique feature to this game, but you can recruit enemies to fight with you. Uh, and they act as assists. So it's like you press a button and your ally swoops in and does a move. Uh, and they have a unique move for every enemy type. So you can combine those with your move sets to like, uh, like reset the enemy and extend your combo. Uh, or if you're not into that, you can just use them for, for fun. Some of them are really fun. Uh, so I, I thought that added to the depth a little. Each of the six characters has a completely unique move set and their own set of special moves. So, you know, it's easy to find one you like. I don't like all of the characters, but there's a few that I really enjoy playing. And I'm sure for other people, you know, they might like the other ones that I didn't like. So there's a support for a few different play styles there. In the last few years, there's been a, uh, I would argue, a resurgence of beat-em-ups, uh, Beat-ups used to be huge on 8-bit uh, and certainly 16-bit systems and in the arcades. Uh, and then it kind of kind of went into they went away for a while, but especially 2D beat-em-ups. But recently there's been lots of them. Like uh recently, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge. Uh last year there's Street Ra Streets of Rage 4. Uh there was recently a re-release of 2010 Scott Pilgrim vs. the World the Game, which is an amazing graphic novel and a pretty good movie. Um I just wanted to ask you brian what do you love about this genre because it's a very it's a very simple genre it's literally just usually with certain exceptions it's walk left or right enemies kind of come on left or right and you beat them and then you eat a chicken out of a garbage can yeah for me it's just i don't know it's fun to hit enemies with a pipe um <laughs> you know i play a lot of like it's interesting i play a lot of these beat-em-ups and then i also play a lot of um like tactics rpgs that where I'm thinking really hard where I'm, while I'm playing. And sometimes I don't want to do that. Sometimes mm. I'm like, I want to turn my brain off and I want to hit someone with a pipe. Uh, and these fill that, that need for me. Uh, and the reason I like River City Girls in particular, although I like a lot of the other games you mentioned too, particularly Streets of Rage 4 was really good. Mm -hmm. uh, but I like River City Girls a lot because it kind of has a, a little bit more of a plot Um it makes me laugh. So it's just, it's a fun game to play when I don't want to think too hard. I just want to have a, a fun, silly, good time. I think this genre is great for that. I think another thing it's great for is, and I wish that, uh, 
I wish that uh, Amanda's hand would fully heal. Uh, it's it's great for co-op. It's a great it's a great experience that you can play with a friend on a couch. Yeah, and I think the the other thing you can play with a friend that's as into or not into video games as you like. Like I think you could sit down and play this with somebody that doesn't play a lot of video games, and they would still have a lot of fun. That was the beauty of the genre in arcades. It was a very pick up and play kind of thing. It's an entire genre of Mario Karts and Smash Bros. Yeah, exactly. It's it's an extraordinarily accessible genre that does not require a high level of skill in order to play to have fun. Yeah, and I like the different tone this one takes where, you know, a lot of them are like uh, a little a little grungy, which is cool, <laughs> too. I like that. But I like that this one's it's lighthearted. It's poppy. Uh, I think it appeals to a, a little bit of a different niche. Uh, which makes it stand out to me. Um, if anyone is curious about the gaming history of this, I suspect that if you go online and you looked up some of the sprites, you'd recognize them, even if you've never played the game. Uh, this game, this series in Japan, it, it, it's not just limited to uh, beat-em-ups there. I think there are some volleyball games, some other things like that. Uh, River City Girls Zero got released, was it last year or the year before? And it was a, uh, I guess it was a remaster of an unreleased uh, an unreleased game uh, that was really, I think, in 1994, uh, but it was never released in the West. So Way Forward got their hands on it, and they did some fine tuning, and they they slapped on a new soundtrack. And apparently, it's great. But it's it's a very different tone. It's very serious, as I understand it. Yes, yeah, it is a cool game, though. I recommend that one too. Yeah. Whereas I don't think anyone could ever describe this game as serious. No, not at all. Uh, I do want to mention my one complaint about this game, please, uh, which is that the full cast. Does not interact very often. Uh, the only characters that talk in the story are the one you're playing as uh, and one other character that you choose in the settings menu. And I find that annoying. I'm like, there's six characters. I really like all of them. I don't want to hear from just two of them. I want to hear from the whole cast. Okay, I can see that being a problem. Yeah, because I mean, technically, it, technically, I guess it, it encourages repeat playthroughs so you can see more variations. But I mean, that's a lot of playthroughs to, to, with different characters in order to see everything. Yeah. Um, and it's just, I don't even think the dialogue changes that much. So I, I, that was a little disappointing for me where I was like, well, I want to play as Marion, but I like the banter between uh, uh, Misako and Kyoko. So. Which was the selling point of the first game, really. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because they are best friends, but they are very different. Yeah, and I was like, I don't want to have to choose. I should be able to get the banter <laughs> and play the character I want. Well, uh, Brian, I want to thank you for coming on. Izzy, I want to apologize to you because with Brian, we got to go like, tee time to save our boyfriends. And with you, I was like, fucking gaming discourse is broken. <laughs> 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 it's fine, so, it's fine. <laughs> but uh, in both conversations, I had an absolutely wonderful time speaking with both of you. So thank you both very much for uh, spending your evening with me. I appreciate it so much. Yeah, of course. Happy to be here. And uh, to you out there, uh, you know what else we appreciate here at RPG Fan? We appreciate folks who like mugs and t-shirts and other things with our logo on it. Um, so if you're looking for a way to support us here at RPG Fan, we recently opened up a brand new shop. Uh, you can find it at www.rpgfan.com shop. Uh, like I said, we have lots of things, magnets and mugs and things. We also very soon are going to have some new merchandise with our 25th anniversary logo on it because RPG Fan is uh, 25 years old, which is actually older than some of the people we currently have on staff, which is mind-blowing to me. Um, 
So yeah, if you uh, if you want to check anything out uh, that and find a way to support us, I think RPG Fans Shop is the way to go. Um, another way you can support us is to check out past episodes of Random Encounter. We have 259 of them out there. Uh, I host a bunch of them. And then before me, there was Greg. And then there before Greg, there was other people. So yeah, check those out. If you have a favorite game that released in the last few years, uh, you can probably do a search and see if we talked about it and uh, find out what we were talking about at the time, the gaming discourse of the time, and see if it was better or worse than it is now. Um, we also have other uh, podcasts here at RPG Fan. We have Retro Encounter, and that is with Mr. Mike Solosi and often talking about all things retro. So we just had the Xeno Series Fantasy Draft, uh, and coming up very, very soon is... I'm going to be hosting two episodes uh, with Mike Salvato on as well, uh, focusing on the NES game Star Tropics and its sequel, Star Tropics 2. These are cult classics that are kind of like if Dragon Quest and Zelda had a baby. Uh, I'm a big, big, big fan of them. So I'm really, really looking forward to talking about those on Retro Encounter. We also have Rhythm Encounter, which is RPG fans' music podcast. And uh, recently we had... uh, we had a, I guess you could call it a, a filler episode that was recent RPG music 101. So this was Mike and Hillary on to talk about some, some songs that kind of fell through the cracks and uh, some new music, which they thought that uh, the audience would really enjoy checking out. So yeah, be sure to check that out. Oh, we did last week on a random encounter. We also did like a little, like a little mini uh, rhythm encounter just to give people a flavor of what uh, it's like. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode of random yet, you can get a little bit of flavor of Rhythm Encounter too, so check that out. Um, if you'd like to get in contact with us here at Random Encounter, you can fire us off a message at podcast at rpgfan.com. I would love to hear from you. If you have any ideas uh, for future episodes or discussion questions, we love those, or you wish to um, wish to talk about some of my comments on this episode, uh, please send in, send in your thoughts. I would love to hear them. Uh, if you'd like to send me an email personally, you can do so at jlogan at rpgfan.com. And hang on, I want to get this right. And uh, if you want to check me out on Mastodon, you can find me at J-O-N-O-L-O-G-A-N at social. Uh, I think that's correct. I'm still not entirely certain how this damn thing works. But I do know it reminds me an awful lot of Twitter, uh, like Twitter was back in the day. And I don't even mean before Elon. I mean, like, really back in the day. It just is. It seems like a very positive place with not a whole lot of advertising and a lot of people that are sharing some really cool stuff. So yeah, uh, I'm on there and uh, I haven't posted anything yet, but I'm going to be posting episodes of Random Encounter on there soon. So yeah, check that out. Um, I am not the only person on this podcast with an online presence, however. Izzy, where can we find you online? So I don't do social media. I think I've mentioned this before. So, you know, and Jono gave lots of good reasons probably why I don't want to be on social media in this podcast. (laughs) But he also, you know, mentioned that he's happy to have people email him their complaints and discussion. So uh, toss everything towards Jono. And... Oh, thanks, Izzy. <laughs> that's that's appreciated. Thank you so much. <laughs> but he, he's welcome to tell me about it, though, you know. Oh, don't worry. I will. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Brian, where can we find you online? Yeah, I am on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at actual lizard TTV, which, as you might gather, is also my Twitch. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to share it with your friends to help us get the word out there. Uh, you can rate us on iTunes or your other podcast players of choice. Uh, leave us a review if you uh, feel inclined. Uh, and uh, yeah, I want to thank 
you both, again, Izzy, Brian, for joining me here this evening. Really, really appreciate it and really appreciate your reviews of both of these games. Thank you for having me. And uh, to all of you listening out there, whatever you're playing, have fun.